I'll start with the good news is that First Republic did beat analyst expectations on earnings. The bad news is that the bar was at pretty low. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the default rate ticks higher, refinancing risk sits on the horizon. On today's special episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Matt Montemiro, and your host, Mackenzie Box, analyze the cracks in the banking system and where vulnerabilities lie. They also discuss tech giant earnings, First Republic's plunging shares, and the quality factor. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and to provide your comments and send in questions each week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I am joined by Alfred Lee and Matt Montemuro, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So special thank you to both Alfred and Matt for joining me today. Good to be here, Mackenzie. Thanks, Mackenzie. We had an exciting evening last night where we saw a bunch of the giants like Google, Visa, Microsoft, Texas Instruments, amongst other reporting earnings last night. So Alfred, can you give us a quick recap on the results and maybe talk about what the best way to play blue chips is through an ETF? Yeah, so pretty action-packed night with a lot of the larger technology names in the U.S. reporting. Most of the companies came in ahead of expectations, so Microsoft was no exception. We reported earnings that came in ahead of expectations. It reported a 7.1 increase in top-line revenue. It did report that a lot of that revenue came from its cloud computing business. Uh, Alphabet also surprised to the upside as well, so uh, its search business continues to be a major source of revenue. An interesting bullet was that its cloud computing business turned a profit for the first time. The big news with Google, however, was that it announced a $70 billion stock buyback program, which should be supportive of its stock going into the future. Texas Instrument also surprised at the upside. Its revenues were in line with expectations. Some of the investors were a little bit disappointed given that its forward guidance was a little bit more, they were looking to manage the expectations. They did state that its chip demand was weak in all areas except for the automotive space. Visa was the other big name to report yesterday, uh, where it did surprise the upside as well. Uh, it did note that it did see a rebound from a lot of increased travel. Volume was up 10%. Guidance from the company was very optimistic. It, the company does believe that there is going to be more upside, just given that you know, we are moving away from you know, COVID lockdowns. The global economy is essentially returned to normal, so spending is is on the increase. So very upbeat earnings from Visa. But overall, I think the overall tone of the earnings uh, cycle so far, uh, even outside of yesterday, was has been very positive. Uh, there's been a lot of concerns just from the street overall, saying that with a potential economic slowdown, higher interest rates, uh, that could affect earnings. So, so far, we haven't really seen that earnings compression. Uh, which I think is a good thing, given that 
valuations of the equity market overall um, has been a little bit higher, but um, with higher earnings, uh, potentially that can justify a lot of the higher valuations. Uh, potentially, we could see some price multiple expansion on the back of this as well. What I would say is that you know when you look at uh, the current economic environment, um, it does uh, definitely seem as if you know the larger cap companies, uh, the blue chip companies, tend to be the ones that are surprising to the upside. As noted, as we stated in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, when you look at the NASDAQ 100, for example, which tends to be the 100 largest uh, companies in the NASDAQ, and you compare that to the NASDAQ Composite, which is the broader uh, version of the NASDAQ, which also includes a lot of the smaller cap companies, the NASDAQ 100 is uh, starting to outperform. So there is definitely a preference for you know, a lot of the larger companies with um, stronger balance sheets. And that's one of our themes that we've been mentioning this year. You know, we've been calling that the macro to micro theme. So one thing that we have been stating is that as the year progresses, you know, a lot of the focus so far has been on what central banks are doing. So, you know, whether they're going to raise rates, whether they're going to pause rates. But at this point, you know, it definitely looks like uh, the Fed um, is pretty close to its hike uh, to the end of its hiking cycle. Uh, we're likely going to get another 25 basis points from the Fed. But the likelihood is that interest rates will remain high for the remainder of the year. So um, I think that's going to have an impact just in terms of, you know, which companies are going to have the more durable balance sheets in order to withstand, you know, the carrying cost of those higher interest rates, um, the refinancing costs as well. Um, so those companies that carry a lower debt load, um, I think, are going to have an easier time in terms of, you know, navigating uh, the new environment in which interest rates are going to be higher for a longer period of time. So uh, one factor that we do like is quality. Uh, if you look at the overall factors in the U.S. market so far this year, um, quality uh, has taken an early lead in terms of outperforming other factors. So when you look at ZUQ, which is our BMO high-quality U.S. ETF, that's up 10% year-to-date. Uh, compared to 7.2% of ZSP, uh, which is our ETF that tracks the S&P 500. So just as a reminder, when you look at quality, there's many different ways in which people in the industry define quality. The way we define quality is essentially looking for three specific metrics. Uh, we're looking for high return on equity. So we are looking for companies that can generate solid earnings, but we're also looking for low earnings variability. So we want the consistency of those earnings, but also low financial leverage. And I think this metric is important, just as I mentioned before, uh, as interest rates remain restrictively high. Uh, those companies that carry less of a debt load are going to have a much easier time in navigating this environment where interest rates potentially remain a lot higher than we've been accustomed to over the last 10 years. Um, so I think you know quality is a good way to play it. It essentially is an easy way for investors to get you know, the best blue chip companies uh, in the U.S., which um, I think is going to be a good theme for this year. Perfect. Thanks, Alfred. Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 6%. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. 
And the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, and ZWC. We continue to hear concern about the U.S. financial system, whether it be the debt ceiling deadline or continued struggle with regional banks. Have these concerns led to an increase in default rate issues? Matt, maybe you can take that one for us. Yeah, absolutely, Mackenzie. We are definitely starting to see some cracks in the system, and, and there's, uh, there's been an increase in concern given the challenges uh, that we've, we've had in March with uh, regional banks and, and continued concern. And then with uh, added concern with that uh, debt ceiling deadline that that is dominating headlines uh, over the last week or so. You know, we have seen an increase, a recent increase in default rates. Uh, It's something that we should start to be a little bit concerned about and keep an eye on. Um, You know, if I'm looking across the credit spectrum, senior loan issuers have seen, you know, four defaults in April alone. And that brings the year-to-date total higher than it was for the entirety of 2022. You know, and I think these higher interest rates have significantly impacted uh, the variable nature of these senior loans. And, you know, as Alfred was saying in the last uh, question, you know, a lot of these companies, some of these more speculative companies that have a higher debt load, these higher interest rates are starting to put a lot of pressure on their business models uh, as they move forward. So, you know, if I look in the senior loan market, I'm looking right now at default rates that sit at 2.1%. That's sitting above what we see in high yield cash bonds. And that's the first time it's happened since 2013. So something to consider there. I think a lot of investors do use senior loans and have a senior loan allocation to achieve higher yields with lower duration, potentially higher quality. Um, You know, often the challenge of this asset class can be riddled with kind of operational and settlement challenges. But I think right now in the current environment, the variable nature of these loans is very problematic during a period of rising rates. And we're really starting to see that play out in, in the increase in default rate. And I think the expectation looking forward is that these defaults are going to uh, continue. So, you know, for investors who have that allocation to senior loans, it may be time to start looking at potentially some other alternatives to meet their income needs, you know, because I do think that there are some headwinds and pressure ahead. Moving to high yield on the cash bond side, I think they've fared uh, quite a bit better than senior loans thus far year to date, but I think there still are concerns on the horizon. You know, right now, default rate sits at about 1.7%. So for context, That's still considerably lower than the 15-year historical average, which is about 3.6%, but we are starting to see that tick higher. So, you know, I think uh, Alfred, again, mentioned that refinance risk. A lot of high-yield companies were able to lock in cheaper financing you know, after the 2020 pandemic, and there's going to be uh, refinance risk on the horizon. So I would expect that high yield defaults are going to start to creep higher. We're going to start to see that 1.7% edge higher toward the historical average of of over three. And I I would expect it to surpass it. But, you know, I don't think this is a contagion-like effect, but I do think it's something that could see some downside in the short term. If you look at the percentage of the high yield market that's considered distressed, that's increasing as well. Uh, And that leads me to believe that there's some downside in the near term in high yield. 
So where does that leave us uh, for investors who who are considering high yield, who have allocations? So, you know, for long term strategic investors, you know, I think the next 12 months could be an opportunity to leg into your high yield positions, you know, look for an opportunity to take advantage of the dip, you know, lock in some attractive yield levels, you know, 9, 10, 11%, which I would expect to see, you know, over the next 12 months, you know, that could be extremely beneficial for someone who has high yield as a long term allocation diversifier within a portfolio context. So something to consider uh, over the next you know, 12 months as you see a little bit of volatility in the high yield market. You know, for more tactical investors, you know, more short-term investors, you know, I do see more value in investment grade versus high yield right now. Most U.S. investment grade products, for example, ZSU, the BMO short-term U.S. investment grade corporate bond hedge to CAD ETF, or ZIC or ZMU, the BMO midterm U.S. investment grade corporate bond ETF, both provide yields of, of 5% with very quality exposures. You're getting investment grade quality. You're moving up the credit spectrum and in, in many cases still meeting those income needs that you were you were uh, using for that high yield allocation just a few years ago. So in the near term, you know, as high yield default rates uh, climb, you know, I would look at at potentially moving up the credit curve, moving up from senior loans, moving up from my high yield exposure and moving into investment grade credit, higher quality exposures. So I would consider those two ETFs as an as an as a way to kind of make that transition and really qual- add that quality. Alfred said add quality to your equity side of your portfolio. This would be a way to add quality to the fixed income side of your portfolio. And for those investors who are looking at High yield as a long-term strategic uh, view. I think we have a, we have opportunities in the next twelve months to add to those positions and lock in higher yields that you know in five years from now will look very very attractive uh, entry points. Great, thanks, Matt. Another thing that we've seen in the headlines um, recent days is the U.S. regional bank First Republic. Uh, their share price took quite a hit in the recent days. Um, what was the cause of this? And are there any concerns for the BMO Equal Weight U.S. Banks ETF ZBK or the BMO Equal Weight U.S. Banks Hedge to CAD Index ETF ZUB, even though uh, the ETF no longer holds that stock? Alfred, can you maybe update us on that? Sure. It's a good question. I'll start with the good news is that First Republic did beat analyst expectations on earnings. The bad news is that the bar was at pretty low. Underneath the earnings, I would say there's a whole lot of issues that got investors concerned. So first off, you know, deposits quarter over quarter had declined 41%. I think that was the main concern that spooked a lot of investors. Net interest margin, so NIM, was reported at 1.77%. But going forward, that's expected to, to shrink. And it's expected to face a lot more pronounced uh, compression in, in coming quarters. In addition to that, after the earnings call, the company withdrew guidance and, and did not take any questions from the analyst community as well. So I think those were some key concerns that had the street concerned, which was a big part of the reason why its share price was down 49% yesterday. So you know, right now, management is essentially trying to shore up capital to prevent uh, the company uh, going into FDIC receivership, as we saw with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and also Signature as well. But right now, it is looking at a number of ways of raising cash. So one of the options that they are exploring is selling 
you know, some of its assets and its health and maturity portfolios uh, to other U.S. banks. So this is mainly, you know, things like treasuries, things like mortgage-backed securities. So things that are very high quality, but just are underwater just because interest rates have gone up and have uh, knocked the value of these prices down uh, until they mature at par value um, upon maturity. But what they're looking to do is, you know, packaging these assets and sweetening the deal, tying some warrants and preferred shares with this deal in order to sell these assets above the current market value. First Republic, you know, one of the bright spots in its business is that over the last decade, uh, it's it's grown its uh, wealth management business by quite a bit. Uh, in 2010, the wealth management business at First Republic was only $17.8 billion. Um, not too long ago, it was reported at $271 billion. So it did see a lot of organic growth. It did purchase um, Constellation and also Luminous Capital as well back in 2013 and 2014, I believe. But unfortunately, you know, over the last uh, month and a half, as First Republic has been facing a lot of these headlines, a lot of their top financial advisors have migrated to a lot of its competitors, such as Morgan Stanley, uh, UBS, and other firms, and taking their assets with them. The impact to ZBK and ZUB is going to be limited. Uh, keep in mind that we no longer hold First Republic in those ETFs. As of the last rebalance in March, uh, we basically sold those shares just because it no longer met the market cap. So uh, in addition to FRC uh, being eliminated from the portfolio, we also got rid of Western Alliance and Comerica as well uh, for the very same reason. Um, but I think the rebalance that we did in March, not too long ago, and in a couple of weeks ago, I do think that is beneficial for the ETF because it does leave the ETF to be a much higher quality portfolio by eliminating a lot of those, you know, smaller market cap regional banks. So far, how the banking crisis has evolved is is basically been a bottom up process where it started at, you know, a lot of the smaller regional banks and it's grown to some of the you know, more moderate size kind of regional banks at this point. But in terms of the direct effect on ZBK and ZUB, again, there's no direct impact to the portfolio. Uh, the only impact that it's been having on uh, ZBK and ZUB is that obviously the news of FRC has weighed on the entire banking sector, especially a lot of the regional banks, which has then weighed on ZBK and ZUB. So a lot of the impact has been more direct uh, just on that news weighing on the entire uh, sector overall. So just for reference, you know, ZBK yesterday was down 2.8% in local U.S. dollar terms, uh, comparing that to the S&P 500 financial sector. The financial sector was down 2.2%, uh, so a little bit better than, than ZBK. But when you look at KRE, for example, which is the Spider's uh, regional bank ETF that trades in the U.S., that was down 4.1%. So again, uh, ZBK is going to hold a little bit of regional banks. It's going to hold some of those larger U.S. banks as well. So it is much more diversified. Uh, we have been getting a lot of inbound questions in terms of ZBK, ZUB. Is it a good time to buy and get exposure to the U.S. banks? Obviously, at this point, it's it's you know too early to tell. Um, from our viewpoint, we definitely believe that the Canadian banks are much uh, a much better play at this point. When you look at the Canadian banks trading at very low valuations, you know, valuations we haven't seen uh, for a very long time. Um, when you look at the Canadian banks, they're much better capitalized. 
the Canadian banking industry is independently regulated as well. So we've been noting, you know, ZEB, which is our equal weight Canadian bank ETF, is a good way to get exposure to the uh, Canadian banks. But I do think if you do have a longer time horizon, let's say, you know, five years, six years, if you're looking out further out, ZUB and ZBK is worth a look. But keep in mind, you know, there's going to be a lot of volatility in that sector. One other potential way to play that is through our uh, covered call U.S. Bank ETF, ZWK. So this one will hold U.S. banks. It will hold some regional banks in there as well. Very similar portfolio to ZUB. There are some minor differences uh, just because some of the banks don't have listed options. But ZWK, again, it's a good way to get exposure to the U.S. banks. Also, it allows investors to monetize that volatility as well. So the yield on ZWK is 11.2%. So that's another way to play the U.S. banking sector right now as well. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Would you like to hear more from BMO Global Asset Management's team of investment experts? Check out the BMO Market Insights podcast. These timely episodes deliver the latest news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing with a focus on exchange-traded funds. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. The last question we have today, Matt, you kind of alluded to this earlier, that investment grade versus high yield in your first question as a way for investors to improve their credit quality in the current environment. In January, we launched the BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ZUEG, in both a hedged, unhedged, and a U.S. dollar version, which provides broad exposure to the U.S. investment-grade bond market. Can you let us know what your thoughts on ZUEG's positioning in the current environment? Yep, absolutely. So ZUAG, no, we we call it ZUEG around here, and you know it's been it's been an extremely successful launch as uh, I think investors have really flocked uh, to quality and the full market exposure that it provides. You know, it was launched as Mackenzie said, you know, just three short months ago, and it's amassed over three hundred million in in assets thus far. So you know, I really think investors have been extremely impressed with the combination of yield full-term exposure and quality at such a low and competitive price point. And I think all of those factors together really make it a kind of a core building block to a lot of portfolios. You know, Zueg is very well positioned uh, right now for, for the environment. And, and as I said, you know, it's, it's yielding 4.5% with a duration of six years, but you are getting that full-term exposure. So you're getting from, from short all the way across the curve to long. So in a period of, of potentially a pause in interest rates, uh, where you know we could see a, a cut of rates in the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months, I think that long duration exposure is going to really help you. From an exposure perspective, you get 25% corporates, 30% mortgage-backed securities, and 45% government and treasury exposure. So like a credit profile, you're getting 75% triple-A rated, and you're getting a yield premium over um, what you'd get versus in the Canadian market. So, you know, I think that's been very compelling to investors, and they look at it and say, look, I can take triple-A rated credit and still get a yield premium uh, for, for a fee of eight basis points. You know, I think that's 
all of that combination has really resonated well and is very well positioned for the current market. You know, this uh, this fund immediately became a fund that was uh, very complementary for Canadian investors and very complementary to a core Canadian bond exposure. For example, like Zag, you know, it it's uh, it has a um, it, it provides a lot of diversification benefits to Zag. It's a much deeper universe. Um, like I said, yield premium but higher quality. So it's a it's a nice complement to to your traditional Canadian core and allows you to really take advantage of a deeper sector and subsector base uh, of the U.S. market. I think another reason for its immediate success is that eight basis point fee. You know, when you're looking at core allocation portfolio building blocks, um, you know, it's it's fee is important and it matters. And I think, you know, having uh, two building blocks like Zag and Zuag, both at eight basis points, allows you to work all along the periphery and add satellite positions um, that may be a little bit more expensive. So, you know, it that that fee, it's it's more than half the fee of its competitors, uh, and I think it's really resonated with uh, with investors uh, since it's since it's been launched. You know, so overall, from a positioning perspective, you know, I, I believe the high quality kind of full term exposure is extremely well positioned for the current environment. You know. As the Fed is expected to soon pause uh, their interest rate hiking program, you know, I think this can be a long-term strategic building block within your portfolio, providing that quality exposure. Again, AAA rated. I think that's something that in Canada we don't necessarily see all the time is, is such a large universe of AAA rated with a, with a yield premium to boot. So, you know, I think that's I think right now uh, investors are looking at it regularly. We are seeing quite a bit of uh, inflow in the product. Uh, and I think for the current environment, as we expect to see some volatility, you know, throughout the throughout uh, the, the summer and, and into the fall, I think Zuag is something that can help ride that wave help offset some of the volatility from the equity mark, uh, side of your portfolio while not having to give up your income needs at the same time. So, you know, I think Zuag is something that a lot of investors, both retail and institutional, have uh, have jumped on, and I think it's uh, very well positioned. Great. Thanks, Matt. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I want to thank everyone for listening in, and a special thank you to both Alfred and Matt. So, with that, I just want to thank everyone again and have a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Matt Montemiro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Covered Call U.S. Bank's ETF ticker ZWK, which allows investors to monetize the current volatility by providing exposure to a portfolio of U.S. banks while earning call option premiums. Our experts also discussed an ETF launched earlier this year, the BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZUAG, referred to as ZUAG. It invests in a diversified portfolio of bonds with 75% of the portfolio rated AA and above. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. 
forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.